Today I speak with Claire Kelly, Operations Director for the Mindfulness in Schools project. She lets us know why school kids should probably become a little more mindful and also lays down some shocking truths. We're in quite a lot of trouble, you know, in about 20, 30 years' time. We've got, at one end, the growing um, elderly population and the problems that come with that and dementia and so on. And at the other end, you've got the young people with mental health issues and, and it's kind of a perfect storm brewing. Welcome, Claire. Thank you very much for joining me this morning. Mm, pleasure. As always, what I want to do, if that's OK, is to just dive into your past your history as a youngster and your education. Was there anything that you, back in the day, thought, yeah, that has shaped me, whether a particular day, a teacher, or anything like that where you think, yeah, that, that's made me the person I am today? I mean, there are, there are lots of teachers who really inspired me mm. and just made me want to learn, just not because I thought I want to be like you, but because they just, their take on education was that it was for the sake of just the love of learning. And I think that's something that's in danger of slipping away quite quickly, given all the emphasis there is on exam results and, and league tables and stuff like that. So there are key teachers <coughs> who really influence me. Um, but I guess a turning point, actually for me, the turning point was university. Just, just going to university, having freedom, um, trying everything. Not, not in a, in a, a drugs and alcohol <laughs> way. Just, you Are know. you sure? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I was the most boring student in the world. Uh. But, but I, you know, my idea of a fun night out was a you know, packet of biscuits in the park. Mm. But, um, mm. but just, uh, yeah, just, just trying, you know, trying out music, trying out drama, trying out singing, trying out sport, trying out, you know, and just really having a go. And, I, and it's something I try and encourage my own children to do as well, is just give it a go. Because yeah. you never know, do you? You don't know until you've tried it. And there seems to be a lot of limitation, and I know this comes into mindset a lot, there seems to be a lot of limitation with children in, and fear yeah. in maybe getting things or, or fa yeah, failing, fear of failure. And that's why people... So why do, why do you think you had this ability to just get in there and do it and take things on? I think it was, you know, because back then... There was a sense of university being an opportunity to just try things out. Um, I think it's changed. I think now it's <clears throat> there's much more emphasis on on going to university in order to then go on and do the next thing. It's a, it's a means to an end rather than just an experience. An experience. Um, and and that's a real shame, actually. Yeah. Any kind of learning. That's that's true at school as well. I think. Well, that's a great link. <clears throat> the, the being the, the being in the present is a great link into the, the the next the next thought, which is for anybody that doesn't know, what is mindfulness? Can I just say right away that there have been several very thick books written on this subject really? by very clever people. Right. And in so a nutshell. I, in a nutshell. <laughs> oh God, no pressure. Yeah. Okay. Well, in a funny sort of way, it's two things. There's 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 the state of mindfulness, which. Um, the most concise definition was given by someone called John Kabat-Zinn, who was one of the first people to bring mindfulness into a, in a secular context into the West, um, which is a kind of a state or, or a, a sense of present moment awareness. So in other words, you are uh, paying attention to the present moment on purpose to things as they are with curiosity and kindness which is very long and complicated. Mm. But really all it means is we spend a huge amount of our time, and increasingly so, I think, projecting into the future, 
or reflecting on the past. So pre-thinking and rethinking. Um, at the expense of, of actually living life, being here now, you know, enjoying the sensations around us, the sights, the smells, the tastes, the people, at the expense of actually really listening to each other, at the expense of actually engaging in, in, in what life is all about, which is a series of nows, you know. Um, so you can't, you, you can't expect to live life perpetually planning or perpetually regurgitating what's happened without that somehow depleting the experience of living. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And so m mindfulness, the end game really is about trying to get that sense of when you choose to, because nobody's saying you should do it all the time, otherwise you wouldn't get anything done. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm just really here right now and tasting and smelling it. But, but the fact is when you choose to do it, when you think, you know what I need right, right now, I just need to bring myself back to the now. So in order to do that, you need to train your attention. And that's where the actual, the hard bit comes in. Right, and so the training. Why now do you think it's so important for people to train now, almost like train this sense of being in, in, uh, being in the present moment? Mm. Why is it so important now? Is it more important now than it used to be? I'm going to say used to be, I'm talking 20, 30 years ago. 2,000, right, <laughs> 2,500 right, yeah. years right, ago. Right, right. Because it was back then that people, you know, well, it, there's always been an element of mindfulness style practice, you know, kind of harnessing the attention and focusing and meditating. Um, and in, in all kind of religious philosophies. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, 2,500 years ago, people were doing it. And they were doing it in order to ease suffering, in order to just acknowledge that actually, even back then, the mind's natural tendency is to anticipate and plan and foresee or to reflect and regurg you know, um, regurgitate what's happened, uh, ruminate on things. Mm. Um, and so it's always been the case. That's, that's partly how we're wired. And we can talk about that if you want to, in terms of evolution and how you know, our, our mind's behaviour hasn't necessarily caught up with cultural and social change. Um, so back then it was important, still is now. And now I think perhaps there's also this sense of the pace of change being so fast and the bombardment, the daily bombardment, exterior bombardment in terms of input from you know, social media and expectations about how quickly you're supposed to work and how things are supposed to be done. And there's almost a, a culture, certainly in the West, that, you know, unless you're actually working your way towards a heart attack, then you're not working hard enough. For sure, yeah. Um, that's definitely something that has meant that many people are now looking for something to support them in that. Mm. So you've got that going on. And meanwhile, the continuing human tendency, that the, the mind's tendency to to just constantly be on the lookout for the next thing or the next threat or the next stressor or, or to replay what's happened in order to really understand what, what went on. Right, that makes a lot of sense. And so one of the ways in which, I mean, I've, I've heard the word meditation uh, been thrown around a lot mm. and it's definitely, it definitely seems to have more of a stigma Su supporting it. Mm. What is the difference, for, again, for those who don't know the difference between mindfulness and meditation and how do they correlate? Mindfulness um, meditation is just a really broad term for various ways in which you can go about um, working with your attention, but also centering yourself, in some cases just giving your mind a break, giving your body a break. Um, 
Mindfulness is one very specific form of meditation, which is around attention and is around um, training that muscle of attention so that you can place it where you want it to be. Initially, in the early stages, it's just about getting it to sit and stay in one place. We talk about puppy training, the mind training the mind being a bit like training a puppy. In the mind will wander and it will go sniffing off and it won't sit where you want it to be and it will bring you stuff back you don't want and it will make messes and um, and so the early stages of mindfulness training are really just about repeatedly going come back come back come back and then over time then what you can start to do with your attention is maybe take it another direction so you can begin to look at um, the mind's tendency to be carried away by its own stories you know the mind will tell you a story and you believe it and you go off with it about thought buses and being carried off by a thought bus wow. and whether or not you can then use your trained attention to actually go you know what I'm gonna step off this bus I'm gonna step back for a minute I'm not I'll, I'll notice it I'll go look at that thought isn't that an interesting thought isn't it interesting that mine's thinking that thought right now but actually I'm gonna stay at the bus stop I'm gonna stay here for right. a minute and that seemed I'm sure to a lot of people that um, live in this world that we live in and live uh, I don't know, pigeonhole, but uh, kind of reactive life. Um, and uh, I've never really considered this type of, in, is it incorrect to call it brain training, in a sense? What you're doing is you're training your attention. You're, we, talk, yeah. we talk about mind, again, there's semantics around this, but sure. uh, training your attention to change your brain, because that can happen. Mm. We now, there's enough research evidence now to show very clearly that the brain is very plastic. And so if you train your attention to take you in a direction, a specific direction, that's more likely to happen again because what you're doing is establishing neural pathways, new ones. And the more you think a particular way, the more likely you are to think that way in the future. So you're literally changing the, f the structure of the brain and the function of the brain through what you do with your attention. Right. So I can see that if you... And we talk about your mindfulness in schools project. Um, I can see that with all those reasons you just gave, there are a lot of reasons why it would be a great thing for, for anybody to embrace this kind of lifestyle or um, understanding. Mm. Younger children, um, obviously you can see that the earlier they start, I mean, it's a kind of a no-brainer. Um, it's going to be a great thing. But mm. in, in effect, with all that, what was the purpose of the Mindfulness in Schools project? In the broadest sense, it was about giving young people tools and skills to enable them to flourish, you know, to enable them to just make their lives a little bit, you know, potentially more lovely, you know, nice, nice to be alive, to really enjoy stuff, and also to deal with the difficult things that life throws at you. Um, so we talk about this little toolbox of skills they will have, and once they've got them, they can never unlearn them. Um, you know, a, a, and the research evidence around the, the potential problems with adolescent mental health in particular, but also, you know, it's getting younger and younger. Um, one in ten young, young people are going to have some form of mental illness, you know, serious mental illness, diagnosed. Um, depression is going to outstrip cancer and heart disease is the major draw on global resources in terms of health. Um, you know, the, the average onset of depression for young people, we used to be about 31 to 33 years of age about 30 years ago. It's now slipped to 13, 11 to 13 years of age. 
So all of these things, and again, it's really complicated and, and there are lots of very complex reasons why this might be happening. Mm. But definitely there is something happening to mental health that needs addressing. And it's almost certainly linked to the shift in culture and the shift in pace, how quickly things are changing in terms of what we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, pressures, you know, lack of resources, money worries, technology. It's all there contributing to, to really tough things happening and increasingly for younger people. You know, it's, the Mindfulness in Schools project is, is ultimately about helping to make the good stuff really good um, and also helping to deal with the difficult stuff but acknowledging that actually there's a lot that you have in yourself to help you do that. So it's self-management of these things. It's not necessarily someone telling you, right, think this way or do that thing and you'll be okay. It's about noticing that they have the skills to actually help themselves work with whatever life is throwing at them. Take control, in a, in a sense. Yeah, sort of. Or I mean, not so much control, but just going, oh, I'm feeling a bit anxious at the moment. I know what I can do. And it's not about, you know, crying or, or having a, a can of kestrel or whatever it might be that you do. It's about... Or lashing going, out or whatever. Or lashing yeah, out yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, might, yeah. it might be. It's like, right, ah, I remember this one. Yes. It might be something, we've got something called a dot B we do. Fofbox, another thing. Um, they might decide, oh, I'm having all these horrible thought buses. I'm going to step back from the thought. I know how to do this now. I can step back from the thought bus. Mm. So it almost sounds like they, they could, we could have a bit of an epidemic on our hands in the future yeah. in terms of where this is heading. Yeah, right? Yeah, potentially. We, cer we certainly, people are widely acknowledge, acknowledging just from a purely economic point of view that uh, we're in quite a lot of trouble, you know, in about 20, 30 years time. We've got at one end the growing um, elderly population and the problems that come with that and dementia and so on and at the other end you've got the young people with mental health issues and and it's a kind of a perfect storm brewing and certainly the work that is going on in parliament at the moment there's an all-party parliamentary group on mindfulness is around you know how can we prepare for this how can we actually think logically and put in place strategies that aren't you know, dealing with the with the outcome, aren't dealing with the symptoms, but are actually helping to deal with the underlying cause. Mm, makes a lot of sense. Mm. So how would, I've got two scenarios for you, Claire, if that's okay. First one is it, more individual. If you are somebody and you are constantly, you're working, but then outside of that, maybe freelance, and you're thinking email, Facebook messages, mm. um, must phone them, I've got to do that by that date, otherwise this isn't going to happen. Um, basically like monkey brain, um, hello. Uh, <laughs> what would be the first step into looking into mindfulness practice or, or, um, or becoming more mindful? Mm. I would say um, there are lots of books out there, but I would say don't start with the books because actually mindfulness, it's a bit like music in a way. You know, you, 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 you can't say you understand what it is to sing because you've read a book about it. Mm. You've got, it's very experiential. You've got to do it to actually really understand it. So as a really little taster, I mean, you do, you've, you've discovered that there's this um, wonderful app uh, from Headspace, and that's a great taster of what it can be like. Um, and then, if you're interested, then there are all kinds of great ways to, to take part in group courses. There's something called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is an eight-week course, usually about two hours a week, and it comes in various forms. Lots of people out there teaching it. Um, and a really great introduction to mindfulness. There's something called MBCT, which is Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy. Again, eight-week course, around about two hours a week. 
slightly different in that there's much more work going on there around thoughts. If you're someone who has lots of difficult thoughts that tend to get you caught up and tangled, that can be a really great way in. And lots of other versions as well. One of the best places to look is on a website called bemindful.co.uk, which is um, run by the Mental Health Foundation. And they've got a really nice summary of the different courses. And you can also do a, a local search for teachers and courses going on. Right. And that's the... Because uh, I've seen on your sites that the, there's a um, requirement to do the course, the teaching courses mm. for, for, your, for your course. So mm. the, uh, anybody looking to teach your curriculum mm. would need to have covered an eight-week kind of base foundation course first, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, a recommended course. Right. For, for all the reasons I've just mentioned, mm -hmm. it's experiential, you've got to understand it, and there's no point in trying to teach this to young people if you're not actually walking the talk yourself. Sure. Um, they, they know, they know straight away, you know, if teacher's going, oh now, just, you know, really centre yourself, bring your attention back, and then you go out and kick the photocopier. That's it, game over. Mm. Well, you know, so it's not working for you. Why should I do it? Exactly. Um, and secondly, just for your own well-being. And this is really key, actually. What we, what we, the Mindfulness in Schools project started with a curriculum for teenagers, going right. They, they need this. Let's say year ten. You know, that's the kind of age where I think this would be most appropriate. Since then, it's kind of expanded, and we're now going all the way down to you know seven-year-olds and all the way up to eighteen, nineteen-year-olds. But then, of course, we went ooh course what we need to start with is the teachers you know if you right. want this to be sustainable um, the teachers are the ones who need to be looking after themselves yes they need to take care of their own well-being first give themselves an eight-week you know get themselves on an eight-week course then we say give it about six months after that just to really keep practicing to really get to know what it's like then train to teach young people right I said a wise man once said to me uh, I'm, t I'm gonna butcher this phrase but <laughs> <laughs> something about you can't love others if you don't love yourself that uh, kind of thing yeah. right compassion I say yeah. with compassion yeah. right that's hard right it is really hard yes. but it's really key absolutely critical sure well that's great and so another second scenario talk about teachers in schools Again, I'm so sorry. Not sure. I mean, I know your sessions are 40 minutes normally within a within a um, classroom for the for the students. For yeah. the students, yeah. Um, and books and years of training and tools and everything. Yeah. In a nutshell, if, if a teacher was looking 25 students in front of them and myself, as there'd be 25 singers, perhaps. Mm. Are there any takeaways? If tomorrow they're like, Do you know what, I'd love to just give a thought to some of the students mm. to take away or at least instigate something. Are there any small tips or thoughts you could give now for that purpose? Mm. Um, I'm going to have a rider here, which is nobody should be teaching young people mindfulness unless right. they really understand it. Um, you know, best, best case scenario, you'll put them off. Worst case scenario, you know, you might actually find they're, they're having a, a strong reaction to it and, and what do you do? Um, not that mindfulness is dangerous in any way, there's no evidence of that, but certainly, you know, they might be going, right, well, the thought I had was this, so what are you going to do about that? And suddenly you're in a position of counsellor, psychotherapist, which is absolutely not where you should be. Um, but just really simple little things, if you want to model that, having done a bit of mindfulness yourself, if you want to model to the students and get them to just have a little moment at the beginning of a lesson, and all you have to do is ask them to just sit, and they can either just keep their gaze down or just gently close their eyes. Some of them won't want to. Mm. 
and just maybe try a little experiment to say, you know, we're just going to focus our attention on our breathing, you know, and, and the sensations of, can you feel your feet on the floor? What does that feel? Is there any fizzing, any tingling, anything like that? And like, where in your body can you feel your breath going in and out? Just see if you can keep your attention on that just for three in-breaths and out-breaths. And now gently open your eyes. And often what you find is some will find it hard because for a lot of young people, um, they've never had to sit quietly before. Right. Uh, certainly not unless it was under duress, you know, and because they were told to. But just giving the choice just to kind of sit and be from it, it's like, whoa, this is an unfamiliar territory for me. But if you do that at the start of a lesson, often what happens is, first of all, oh, everything calms down a bit. Secondly, by taking their attention to their feet, you can also kind of get them to go, cool, can I, feel my, can I feel my body on the chair as well? What does that feel like? Their attention is coming to the present moment. Mm. So it's not back out in the, in the corridor, it's not in the next lesson, it's not the argument they had with their mum this morning. It's just here. And the potential there is to just give them a little mental break and for you to start your lesson with just a slight, slightly greater sense of calm. Mm. And on that, on that note with the, the, the children not being able to focus for that amount of time, I mean, is there a lot of resistance that you find in schools? I mean, maybe from parents as well, I mean, in terms of that's kind of woo-woo stuff and I'm not getting involved. Mm. Do you ever find that and how do you overcome that if you have? When we, get, when we go into a school to talk about mindfulness and see if there's anything, you know, whether that school wants to have just a teacher come in and teach the students, or whether the staff want to do a course with us, we do a, an eight-week version of the MBSR course and the MBCT course called Dotby Foundations, specifically for teachers. So when we go in, we do, it's what I'm going to do today actually here, is do an introduction. It's like, what is mindfulness? What isn't it? What's the research, research evidence around it? So it's like just explaining. It's really clear, you know. So you think it's fraudulent rubbish. Um, have a look at the research evidence. You think it's all about Buddhism. Look at this booklet. Where's the Buddhism in that? You know, it's just being really clear about what it is and what it isn't. And we do the same with the students as well. We say, look, these are the ways in which it can, it can help you. Look, these people have shown it. You know, let's have a go. Let's try something. Um, and as far as the... The, the teachers, absolutely, lots of them come back and go, please, can we have some of this? And then the students go, OK, we'll give it a go. And then actually over a period of time, they go, oh, that's quite useful. The parents usually go, why aren't we doing this? That's great. Nearly, you know, 99.9% of the time. And the only resistance we tend to get are from people who just have a, a very ill-informed idea of what it is. I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure. Well, that's perfect. I think that's kind of summed up most of the mindfulness uh, questions that I had anyway today. But I'd just like to finish, like I always do, with a couple of questions for you. The, the reason for doing this is that I always just like to dig into the minds of people like you at the forefront of your, your industry and almost all of us are looking to kind of change the world in a little way and just to see if there's any themes with the way people think. And I would like you to, if you could, tell me what comes to mind when you hear the following words that I give you, if that's all right. Mm. So the first word would be, it can be a person, a thing, or okay. animal, whatever. Yeah. Successful. Can I give you a sentence? Of course you can. Flour well, actually, no, flourishing. It's not a sentence, it's a word. It's a word. Yeah. Success yeah, for me, 
for anybody to be successful, they have to be flourishing. You can't, you can't succeed unless you are well and you are feeling relatively good about yourself and really relatively good about the world around you. Um, if you're succeeding without those things, then I think it's a very limited definition of what you mean by success. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you. And lastly, same thing for the word love. That's a bigger one, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Everyone struggles with this one. Because mm. you want to go for the part, you know, or the children, but then you've got other things you like. Mm. Well, I mean, a word comes to me which I associate with love, which is compassion. And it's not the same thing exactly, but it's certainly you can't have one without the other again. Um, and that, also the word open. I don't think you can be loved or love without a sense of being open. Open to possibility, open to communication. Yeah. Even open in an like, honesty sense and yeah, everything, honest, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and physically open as well, you know. Often when, we, when, we, when you talk about love, um, people literally kind of do that, you know. It's a sense of, oh, whether it's love of the world, love of life, love of people. Wonderful answers. Thank you very much for that. I expected them to be good from you. Thank I don't you. know why. <laughs> don't know where that came from, but there we go. Yeah. <laughs> on the hoof. Yes, lovely. Well, thank you once again, Claire. Pleasure. I appreciate your time because I know you've got to go and do your, your talk this afternoon. So thank you very much. And I will look forward to reading more of your stuff online and um, hearing more about the Mindfulness in Schools project in the future. Stay tuned for more educational research videos coming right up. But if you want to join me on this journey, please subscribe to my YouTube channel or like my Facebook page, and or find me on Twitter. All of these you can find by sticking Steve Giles UK into the search box. Next time, I visit one of my good friends, Katie Holmes-Smith. She's one of the UK's most sought-after session and backing vocalists. She invites us in and lets us know just how she thinks people can find the quickest route to success. Do what you love doing. And if you don't think you're great at it, it doesn't matter. You can be great and just get nowhere, so... The passion and the, the love to do it counts for more than anything else.